Lost and Rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn. I am Jimmy. And I am Alon. Time to get embarrassed with us. For all intents and purposes, consider this our first episode. If you have gotten to know us through the original podcast, consider this, oh, I don't know, like episode 24 or something like that. The premise is simple. The results are complex. If you have an audio tape from the old days that's still attainable, we want to hear it. Be it a mixtape, an assignment from school, or just messing around with friends on the bus, your audio is paramount to our mission. Uncover the sounds of old so we can remain in touch with our former, younger selves. Perhaps each week we learn a little something. Who knows? At least we hope to reminisce a bunch without getting too nostalgic. Lost or Rewound is all about the objective retrospective. A quick refresher, though. 1994, this was the year in which I transitioned between 5th and 6th grade. During these grades, I spent a large chunk of time carrying around a handheld tape recorder, recording everything that my friends had to say within close proximity. The Danziger Zone was my first foray into documenting the world around me in real time. These tapes amassed to a total of 50 tapes by the time 1996 came to a close, and they do continue to serve as the basis for this program. So it would come to pass that through my travels, I've discovered other audio time capsules like that of my own. And on this episode, we'll check out some clips that we haven't heard yet from the days of Woodstock Elementary. But first, this. You need need dehydrating drinking water. Just add water. Um, never mind. New steps like the one-legged glitter. And new singers like Vegetarian Loaf. Now we'll do anything for love. We would be remiss if we were not to address the metaphorical elephant in the room before we begin on the bulk of what Lost and Rewound is all about, and that is the tapes. But unfortunately, I feel a little like I have to take this weight off my shoulders because this metaphorical elephant is just like dying to get off. So tell me, Jimmy Hoffman, where have you been, sir? Where has he been? Where has Jimmy Hoffman been? Is the question on the lips of the masses. Where did he go? Where did Jimmy Hoffman run off to? And the question is actually quite complex. Jimmy Hoffman went on a journey. (gasps) That's right, a journey. A journey looking for the answers. The answers to what? Not even Jimmy Hoffman knows. But he had to find them. He went searching high, and he went searching higher. (laughs) 
<laughs> Wait, the, the, the topography in Brooklyn doesn't really allow you to go that high, he does it? He got on the hills, my man. He the, was on hills. Yo, that's some hills right there. He was just – I mean he, he ascended and then he didn't descend. He went all the way up to the top of the hill and uh, he couldn't see the bottom. It sounds like from the sounds of your voice, you got – you clearly have been on some journeys considering – the way your voice your voice sounds traveled, I guess, is what I'm getting at. I think I needed to travel so that I could do the voice justice. The voice needed answers. Yes. Why does why does it sound like this? Why, why, where where well, where is mine? It's never changed. I feel like uh, ever since I was 12 years old, my voice has remained this kind of high pitched, uh, um, cranky Jewish kid. I, I like it, man. I like it, honestly. <laughs> I, do. I do. I feel like if your voice sounded like my voice, it would just be like. Uh, I don't know, two old black guys in a room <laughs> just spitting blues, man. One of the things that's so interesting about listening to old clips of yourself when you were younger is the one thing I think that always seems to permeate is, is that uh, over, you know, it, it never stops is how, who is that? I can't believe I sound like that. How, you know, who is talking? I don't even know who's talking. They all sound exactly the same. But, I feel like it's really hard to actually have a memory of what your voice sounded like in the past. Yeah. Because you are constantly hearing your voice, so you're hearing it constantly change. You don't, you know, have you don't pick it up one day where you didn't hear yourself for 10 years. People go, "Oh my god, you sound like this now. You've always heard it." So you're right. Anytime I hear listen to myself in the past, I'm like, "Yeah, that was what I sounded like, seriously." It's just yeah, I mean basically just put put your pitch up uh you know a few def- I guess a few notches and yeah, you know, you could be eleven years old all over again. Hi, this is Elon Danziger and I'm coming to you live from my house. I mean it's I can't do it because it's 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 impossible. You can't just revert back to the way your voice sounded See, at that, all. That's the thing. If I had like fifty tapes from when I was like twelve years old, <laughs> it'd be like Hey, yo, ma, give me some cookies. <laughs> I ain't, ain't no way I'm going to do nap time. <laughs> he was born with the voice of a god, Jimmy Hoffman. Well, I, I'll, I'll, I'll tell this quick story because I've told this on stage, and I don't know if you ever heard it, but I think you probably did. Mm. You probably did. Okay. Um, so if, for those of you out there that don't know, uh, I also do some stand-up comedy, and I host a couple of open mics. Or, well, at this point, one open mic, hoping to be more open mics. Uh, if you'd like to go, it's actually at the Jeet Jet Bar. Jeet Jet! Which is, um... Dope food. I have to spell, because I'm <laughs> just saying that, no one's going to know where, where, what, that, what that means. It's a J apostrophe E-A-T, and then a J-E-T. You got it. Question mark. Question mark. Followed right, question of course. Mark. Can't so forget the question mark. It's Jeet Jet. Jeet Jet. Yep. I'm and glad that this is actually an audio, you know, medium that we're using so I can explain. Because <laughs> if you just read it, people are like, uh, you're, at, you're playing in a French place. I, don't, I know French. That's not French. And I'm like, I, I, they should have a little explanation. It should just say, did you eat yet? What, what kind of uh, performances usually happen at the open mic? Is it all across the board or is it mostly music? It is mostly music right now. But we also have stand-up comedy. And we've gotten some poets and some people doing short stories, storytelling. Mm. Yep. I'm telling you. you Indeed. Um, Indeed. So if you guys ever wanted to hit that up, that's Sunday nights at 9 p.m. between 20th and 21st Street on 5th Avenue in Brooklyn, 
the south. So that's what you've been doing. You haven't <laughs> been climbing mountains. You've just been hosting open mics. I'm, it's a it's a mountain to climb to get through that mic. <laughs> oh, man. for sure. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so, like, uh, one of the things uh, that you've been uh, telling the people over on your open mics, then you had you said you had a story about your younger self. Yeah. So it, it had to do with um, my voice, and it had to do with people hearing my voice. Uh, you know, being projected. And it's something that I, I basically do now all the time. You know, I'm always trying to have my voice be recorded, as in right now. But at the same time, I, you know, it was I was so young. I was four years old, and we'd gone on a school trip to a news station. And we were, like, little kid newscasters, which I wish that they'd, like, had the tape of it still. That would have been something to watch, That right? would have been, yeah, for sure. Four years old, right? Absolutely. So I actually remember hearing this. I was in earshot. I guess it was, like, after I had gone... And my pre-K teacher came over to my mother after I had done my little spiel they gave me to say. They gave me some copy to read. And she goes, this is a little weird, but your son has a really sexy voice. And I was four years old. Hmm. Yeah. And I didn't really know how to feel because I was four. But I'll tell you, pre-K was never the same. No, no, no. Would it? I, I mean, I don't know if I would ever know what. The, I don't even know if I knew what the word "sexy" was until I got to be around uh, middle school. I knew it was a good thing. <laughs> I you was, were exposed to I the was, goodness of sexiness. I was special. I was like, yeah, all right, Ex- mm. extra cookie during snack time. You know, be in the sandbox flexing. You still have tapes, though, in general, no? Don't you? I do. You're going to have to contribute, dude. Come on, well, put, um, put up or shut up, for real. Yeah, we've got decks and uh, we've got all kinds of things. We'll make this happen. We'll make this happen. I found, and this is going to be coming soon, guys. Uh, I got to say I'm five years old on the tape. Mm. And it is the uh, this mystery we did, like a Hardy Boys sort of thing, me and my buddy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, we definitely listened to it at one point. And it was in, my voice is indistinguishable. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't hear a deeper voice on it. So I don't mm-hmm. know. If, maybe this pre-K teacher was just a pedophile. Did you have, <laughs> did you have a really deep Brooklyn accent when you were younger? I don't know what that even means. A deep Brooklyn accent. I mean, come on, you're you're five years old, so like you haven't even really developed an accent yet. <laughs> hey, ma, Jeez. you know, let me get a hot dog and put some sauerkraut on it, because you know, these guys, these guys down on the corner, they messing with me. I, I'm just envisioning like uh, one of those characters from Tiny Toon Adventures. The uh, I think it's um, the the one who always is like fawning for Shirley the loon, the little like rooster, the baby rooster who constantly is swearing. Foul mouth. I think it's like the youth version of Foghorn Leghorn. And oh, I can just imagine it's all just like he's just talking like this. He's just talking like this, and he just he like goes bleep 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 bleep, and just a constant constant bleep over and over and over again. <laughs> that was me as a little kid. Yeah. No, I. I I, it's funny because my parents cursed a lot more than I did when I was young. Mm. And uh, I definitely, like, cursed, but it was so normal and so Brooklyn to be cursing. So it just wasn't, you know, I didn't, it didn't have the shock value. It didn't have, to me, it was just, you know. And then I always saw people, like, there was all these dudes yelling on the street all the time. So I don't, I mean, it was one of these things that when I was really young, I did. I cursed more. But I think I was just emulating, you know, the guy at the deli. And the guy at the donut shop, and you know, right. the guy at the pizza shop, and I was like, "These are tough guys, yeah, you know." Blah, 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 you know, doing that sort of thing. My language was all learned from the uh, media through radio and television. I mean, my parents were pretty modest in their parenting. I think they 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 treated their children with respect, and that they at last, at least from my understanding, didn't swear around their kids very often. But I do remember very much so whenever my – I think I've told this story before. My father would always 
find himself cursing in my presence. And at some point when I was maybe like nine or so, eight or nine, when I did catch him, I would always make it a point to berate him for swearing. I, I, I always could tell when there was a bad word and I was and I always like just follow through from my mom and be like, you shouldn't say that, dad. You should go to your room. And <laughs> like, when you come out, I hope you have an apology ready for me. Yeah, no, I have a friend of mine. Basically, her kid, she's Brazilian and her husband is American and her kid speaks both Portuguese and English. Right. And the kid speaks Portuguese just to the father who doesn't speak it as well and speaks only English to the mother who doesn't speak English as well. Just to foul them up, basically. And then makes fun of them when they don't speak the language as correct as they should. It's like reverse (laughs) psychology in some respects because, come on, I mean, not everyone's going to be able to understand necessarily, no? When when there's another language involved. Portuguese is hard, man. I don't even know how I would have been able to get away with any language. It's just an out of sight, out of mind thing, I guess. I didn't grow up speaking any other languages uh, other than English. So my entire experience with being around kids who did have other languages that they spoke in the house, I was floored. Just a culture shock for me. Not necessarily because I was around people, you know, with different nationalities. It was just more about any language, French, Spanish, uh, Russian, any family that had another language spoken in the house. Hebrew, and when people, everybody spoke Hebrew more in the house, I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's intense. I mean, I go to Hebrew school, but I don't speak that in the house. Whoa. I heard this, like, old stat about New York that in, you know, families in New York City, only one out of every five families speaks only one language in the home. Mm. And, you know, the one language is not always English. I was like, ah, that makes, that's, makes a lot of sense. For me, when I was a kid, my mother, her first language was Spanish. And she spoke to me only in Spanish primarily when I was a baby. And I wasn't speaking, and other children around my age were speaking. And she stopped speaking to me in Spanish because she was worried that I wouldn't learn any language at all. So I don't really speak Spanish fluently now. Hmm. I can speak it with, like, a decent accent because she yelled at me in Spanish a lot. So things like, lavate los manos or póngate en la basura, you know. These things are just... What, what, what did you just say? I said, wash your hands. And I said, put it in the trash. All right. <laughs> the basics. The cl- basic mom stuff. Classic mom. You know, speaking of Mother's Day just recently. Happy Mother's Day to everyone. Indeed. Happy Mother's Day, y'all. <laughs> so she never... And then she's always sort of regretted it. And I said to her afterwards, one of these days, I said, Mom, you know, you were worried about me not speaking correctly or like not learning a language and now all i do is speak <laughs> every job in my spare time yeah, all I'm exactly. ever, i just need a mic and i'm just trying to talk so i said maybe it was a good thing because you know i've attained mastery of the english language mm-hmm. and uh, i don't know but would i've had i don't know she doesn't have any accent at all she she sounds totally american when she speaks my mother when she was younger um i don't even think she spoke yiddish with her grandmother but her grandmother definitely was fluent uh, and completely spoken yiddish and even into her uh, last days I guess maybe it's a sort of a thing that happens. I don't know what the term is, but when you get to be of a certain age, uh, you and you know, in your last days, you just sort of revert to your first language. You don't speak uh, the any secondary languages. So for her, English was a secondary language, and she spoke entirely Yiddish until she died. And my mother, even growing up when she was living in Brooklyn, she had a relationship with her grandmother that was very great, and her language was English, 
her grandmother was more or less completely, you know, Yiddish all the time and obviously understood English. And my mother would never speak it. So it was the it was the, just the perfect recipe where you completely knew what one person was saying, but you weren't speaking it in response, which I think happens in a lot of, you know, extended families where you could be speaking in another language and you will respond in your native language, understanding what is said. I find that completely compelling when two people could be speaking the different languages and they still know what each other are saying, but they can't speak it in, you know, back and forth. My, actually, it's funny because my roommate, he's uh, his parents speak in Spanish to him a lot and they'll be around my apartment sometimes and he never speaks in Spanish back. Hmm. always speaks back in English, but he always knows exactly what they're talking about. Sure. He never asks them, like, oh, what would you say? Like, and it's, and it's funny because I think I actually heard him even make a comment one time that he just doesn't like speaking in Spanish. Like, he knows how to, but he just doesn't enjoy it. He just likes English more. You know, he just said, no, this is my language. I'm, for, you know, I grew up in New York, so I'm not going to speak that. He said, you know, this, I'm here. I'm not there. Everyone's got their perspective. I think that there's something that's really cool about language that, intrinsically the culture comes from language a lot and the way that people act you know sometimes is even based upon the language that they speak and they don't even think about how deep the roots go because they've only got words for certain things or different tenses and one thing i heard heard about recently that was interesting was in chinese uh, i don't know if it was mandarin or cantonese but there's no indeterminate future meaning that there's no word for later and because there's no word for like, you know, I'll get to it later, meaning I haven't planned when I'm going to do it. I do plan to do it, but I'll get to it whenever, sort of, I feel like is the implication when you say later. But they don't have a later, so either they do things right now or they actually have a planned time for something. And because of that, they said that people in China tend to be more productive things they they're they're always they're doing more things because they feel as though they, they have to do it and they just can't they don't put it off this this is a very rudimentary clip about uh what languages mean to our minds when we are clearly incapable of recognizing what they really truly are and so i bring you our debut clip for radio free brooklyn's lost and rewound bum, ba, da, dum, bum, bum. Nate's geography lesson. This is how you say goodbye in about five different languages. No. How you really do it. In France, as you know from past geography lessons, you say bonjour. You have to say bonjour. Bonjour! Right. In Spanish, to say hello, you say hola. Hola! Well, no. <laughs> In Hebrew, to say hello, you say shalom. Shalom. In what are the languages? Help me out. German? I don't know how to say it. <laughs> and even though I don't know how to say hello in German, I do know how to say, do you speak German? Sprechen Sie Deutsch. This has been edition of Nate's. Nate uh, was always very good on the mic as sort of the in instructor for many uh, a matter, be it geography, uh, literature, science, math. He was a he was a whiz. I'm always intrigued when when you hear someone, especially on one of the clips, or you'll just remember back to your own past and say, "Oh, remember that kid 
that he used to like take his pants off in homeroom and run around. Yeah. Well, now that kid is, you know, Secretary <laughs> of State, <laughs> and now he only takes his pants off for the Prime Minister. <laughs> well, uh, look, if we want to go into the whole like a rabbit hole of where the people are now, maybe that's one of the reasons why this show sort of demonstrates such a, an interesting revelation, if you will, that you know when. We were this age. Who would have thought we would be getting to a point in our lives where this stuff is still around to look and listen back to, I should say, and be able to be a little more objective, as I'm hoping to be, about who we used to be. But, you know, <laughs> it, it definitely is the case that a number of uh, voices in these archives be it mine or be it somebody else's are, are, means something to somebody else and who knows if those somebody else's would be freaked out to hear that somebody actually had their voice featured. Well, that's exactly that. Fearless, yeah. though. Fearless. I always think that, think about how many things you say every day mm-hmm. that aren't recorded. True. That just go out into the ether and maybe people hear them, but chances are they won't remember them. And when you actually have your voice recorded, you know, at, at some point, that there's that's that's gonna it's gonna live on, you know. And I think that's something that uh, you know is, people love about art the same way that you can create this thing, and now it's out in the world. People say, you know, tattooers they're always excited because they can you know put their art on these living canvases, right, on people's skin, and then their art gets shown all around every every place this person travels to their art gets to travel to yeah. as well well People it's get to see kind of it. like a passport in some respects too no it's like a passport on your body yeah this yeah. is where i've been exactly. check it out exactly <laughs> so it's it's just this but it but i think that that's sort of an interesting thing because when you when you do tattoos uh, they have an expiration date you know whenever that person dies um, but the audio tape unless at some point there's no more way to be able to play those eight tracks, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Correct. There, there. You know, people can listen to this stuff that this show we created. Someone could listen to this two hundred years from now and be like, "What the hell are these guys talking about?" Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> because we're actually in in a um, in the specialty of covering a medium that, in and of itself, is becomes so obscure that really. Well, we, they're thinking to themselves, like, I'm, I'm all about those tapes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Tape jockey. Exactly. Yeah, killing it. Um, <laughs> Boombox, like, oh, yo, watch this. Blam. Like, I got this new cassette. Um, yeah, well, truth be told, it's definitely a, a fixed medium of which a uh, very specific type of individual, be it audio file or archivist like myself. Uh, I, I, that's what I'm in search for. But, you know, it's exciting to be able to have such a an uncharted territory in our disposal of like what other kind of uh, projects were people working on how many other crazy people are like me <laughs> we need to find them my friend brooks rocco and i were essentially the tag team of the danziger zone and we came up with this rather insane little uh ditty kind of like a, a soap opera if you will let's take a listen it's time for As the Ball Bounces. Today on As the Ball Bounces, Mr. Scarlett O'Hare bounces on top of the ball. Hey, hey, bounce, you stupid ball. Did you hear that? I don't know if you did. There you go. 
This is Ben as the ball bounces. <laughs> Ingenious. <laughs> And so just that kind of example, it's just really – it's to the point. It's very specific, I guess, but just awesome to be able to know that you can do anything in creating little silly plays or, um, you know, of that kind of nature I think is really kind of the, the, the sweet spot for what you would imagine any kid would want to do with a tape. They just would want to make funny voices or try and play with sound effects. There, there's there's something deeper into it as the ball bounces. like <laughs> – <laughs> let's let's dissect. There's, there's something more to this. That's uh, the ball of bounces. <laughs> just, when I when I first heard that clip, it spoke to me. I just I don't know what it was, but I was like, it's just man, that ball. I just I want to know more. I just like where did that ball come from? Where is where, it going? Where where is it going? Is the best idea. It's just the ball. It, where did it come from? Was it in a storage shed? Where you know. <laughs> What else is in that storage shed? Just, I mean, I mean, how many times has it bounced? It sounded like it didn't even sound like a basketball. And I had a basketball. Maybe I think it might have been like a one of those kickball, dodgeball kind of balls. Probably, like probably. If I had to listen to the quality of the ball when it was bouncing on the ground and bouncing off of the record, it sounded rubbery. What what kind of uh, like recreational sports did you play? Not in school, but just like on your own. Did you like do the stick ball or the kickball or the? I, I think that um, trick ball. <laughs> Yo, trick balling. Trick balling. <laughs> um, I, I think I'm, I'm a little sad because when I was a kid, we were. I think we were like just past the stick ball era. Like, okay, it was gone. That was your dad's thing. Yeah, they played stickball like a mug. Seriously, <laughs> like played a lot of stick. And I, I just I was wanted to. Um, we did play, uh, like, wiffle ball sometimes, uh, but that was, like, because it was a, it was a definitely a pussy version of stickball. Wait, wait, what, really? Wiffle ball? Why, that, would that it, ball? why would that you be? You could a... get hit in the, in the head with a line drive, and, like, you would just look like an idiot. Okay, we're, <laughs> how old are we talking, though, for wiffle ball? Oh, I, I don't know. We were, like, eight or nine or ten. Come, like that. come on. That's not a big deal. Wiffle ball is, fa- is fair. I mean, it was fun, and if somebody was like, yo, let's go play some wiffle ball right now, mm-hmm. I would be down. You, you, you never played kickball, though. No, I definitely played kickball, and I was an absolute beast to kickball. Like, if anybody wants that they're on the gauntlet, and, like, I haven't played in, like, a decade, and I will yeah. pull out the skills, I'm telling you. I don't know why. I think with kickball, and I and I was trying to think about this. I don't know why. Sometimes I come and I, I think about, like, really important things like – the tactics you need necessary to win kickball and, like, why someone would ever become a bathroom attendant. Like, these are things that really make me – Yeah. <laughs> they really started to get me thinking. And I thought a lot about kickball. Is It actually goes back to um, this one instance I had of playing. And I think it was the last game I ever played a kickball. So I've, And it was like this – it was this crowning moment. So it was actually – I had been uh, in the school play in high school. It was Midsummer Night's Dream. And I played Demetrius. And uh, did you did you wait? But you told the story where right where when you like pants the kid, right? Yeah, that was from the same play. That was from the same play. Same play. There's another story within this, this illustrious dude, this, play. This play changed everything. It was amazing, man. Everyone that was involved with it equally was like, that was just one of the most amazing moments. I didn't mean to cut you off though about that. I I, I didn't realize you. Were, no, you're right though. You're right. If people so if you haven't heard yet that in that play. <laughs> 
in one of in one of the performances, I pants the other main actor yeah. without telling him. I think you talk about stage. that. The last time you were on the show before you ventured off into before the hills, I vanished. You told you talked. That was like one of the last things you talked about. Yeah, was, and he and he had like heart boxers on too. It was like perfect, but I didn't tell him. I pantsed him. He got really surprised, and then it, it really added to his performance. Yep. And he thanked me afterwards because he because he, he knew it was really great. He told me never to do it again, but he was like, "That was really cool." The yeah, direct, no, I'd imagine that's something. The you director afterward, the director yelled at me in front of the whole cast, and then he pulled me aside too and was like, "No, that was awesome." But what was the other thing? So the other story was uh, after the play was over, it had, it was sort of a big deal that I'd gotten cast because I actually had the most lines in the play. Because I was enough of a ego-driven person to count. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> so, because I f- had a feeling I did, uh, and I didn't really know why. Because my de- character definitely wasn't the main character. If you haven't seen *Midsummer Night's Dream*, Demetrius is sort of like the rich, pompous jerk. Whereas that, Lysander is just like yeah. So I was like, I did it, definitely did it really goofy and funny, and I tried to be sort of like uh, you know um, *Beauty and the Beast*. What's that guy's name? And uh. You're putting me on the spot, dude. I you don't know what I'm talking about. I don't, that guy, um... Gaston? Gaston. Oh, I see. Yeah, you know. Sorry. I did Gaston, but lighter. I did like Gaston. <laughs> that was sort of like my inspiration. <laughs> you, you did a more... You did, you did a less uh, uh, demeaning version yeah, like, of Gaston. Because you know how you kind of like... <laughs> Gaston's kind of a jerk, but you think he's funny. And then you, did he, a, you did a feminist version of Gaston. But then he tries to murder the beast, and you're like, all right, fuck this guy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you're like, nah, Correct. I'm done. Like, at that point, you're just, you just give up on him. But before that, you're... You, you kind of don't, you know, he's just a little bit abusive, and you're like, okay, like, th- that song in the beginning really had me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I I did mine, and it was it was sort of similar. Like, he's, like, a little handsy. <laughs> it was, and it was goofy. It was a big deal that I got in that role, because I'd never done a school play before. And, like, other actors in the play were pissed, because, I don't know, they, they worked through the ranks of freshman year or whatever <laughs> to get there. They did their time in background roles, right? Right. So I'd gotten cast in, like, and then I did really, really well, and like I was like became one of the stars of the show, and people really liked my my jokes, and I like it, it. It made me popular in school. It was like a whole thing. Anyway, we had the cast party afterwards, and I don't know for what reason the director, who was just like the coolest guy, shout outs to Quinn Strassel, wherever you are, that guy was the man. I used to, he used to listen to Strokes. We listen to Strokes in class sometimes, and people are getting too rowdy. Right on. But uh, we played kickball, and. It was just this one game, and there was only two people who got home runs during the game, and it was me and the director, Quinn Strassel. Mm. And, he was and, on, and he was on my team. He picked me, and he, like, winked at me before the game started. I don't know how he knew I had kickball skills. He did his research. And man. then Susie Dressler looked at the two of you and was like, I can't choose between them. <laughs> As the ball bounces. As the ball bounces. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, it was as the ball bounces. After I kicked that ball, yes, because when you when you get a have you ever hit a home run in kickball before? <laughs> You're, no, that's a putting on the spot. I I'm actually don't think I ever. Maybe like an in well infield home run. You could have gotten. I mean, in my opinion, for kickball, it, that counts because you should be able. Some people can't field, but that ball is so big. You got to be. Able I, to I'm going to go with no. But uh, you remember those times when you were playing and one kid kicked it and it just went so far and nobody knew what to do and he just jogged around the bases. Yeah, wasn't me. Style. It wasn't me. <laughs> I was just happy to even be playing at all in the first place and even getting a base hit. I like that you can bunt and kick ball too. That was always funny. You know, people. Some people just lay off the little bunt and try to squirm down the line. You know, it took me years to perfect it, and I figured it out one time how to hit, how to like kick it perfectly, the sweet spot of the ball, and kick a home run. 
and it would be skied. It would be like going towards like the sun, and and everyone would just look, and and even the outfielders were like slowly jog to it. Was the field I've the field the ring? I don't know. I guess the 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 diamond, if you will. I don't know exactly if you have to equate all was it terminology. Regu- was it regulation baseball size? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Was, did you did you did you have bleachers? No. Um, well, I I was actually wondering where it was in comparison to. The school. So, like, when you hit a home run, did it go away from the school or did it go towards the school? So, the it wasn't. Our school didn't have a field, so we had to go to this field in the neighborhood. Okay, it was like a it was like a public park. I was going to accept, uh, you know, like concrete, like a sort of uh, blacktop uh, within the playground area of your school. No, it was actually like a lot of schools used to use it, and it was like a it was just like a baseball diamond in Bay Ridge. Got it. I want to say. No, it wasn't. It wasn't Owl's Head Park, but it was some, somewhere close to that. But I'm telling you, man, I hit that home run in that kickball game. As the ball bounces, <laughs> my legend was born. <laughs> <laughs> like it was glorious. It was. You, it was glorious. Yeah, a, a legend was created that day. I'm telling you, and, and, and thus another storyline as well. Right? You know, I, I, I wish. I wish I could get that moment back, trotting around those bases. Dude, there's something really special about sports when you actually do do something right. And you know, I, I mentioned basketball. The, the moment for me. The sports moment that I had for me, that Rudy moment, I guess you can call it. Rudy! <laughs> was, um, you know, because I was playing basketball ever since I was in fifth grade. It was the sport that I felt most comfortable playing on my own. I had a hoop in my driveway on my gravel driveway, of which was not at all the right space uh, physically to have a hoop. Because it was just, it, the, it, the bounce was not as good as it would have been if it was just like a straight uh, paved court. Uh, if I wanted that, I would have had to go into town. I did not. I didn't want to embarrass myself in front of a ton of my peers um, and much less have to ask my folks, one of my folks, to drive me into town. So I just made do with this dinky little hoop in my driveway that collected rust over the years. And when I was in high school, I got to be on the basketball team somehow. Somehow, more or less as a bench warmer. I did do it in middle school and had a, a more or less a negative experience with that. And then I tried it again for some reason because I'm a total, um, you know, masochist, evidently. Glutton for punishment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but I was more or less a glorified bench warmer in uh, 11th and 12th grade. And somehow, in 12th grade, I um, managed to score a three-point shot at a game that wasn't actually a regulation game. It was a junior varsity game or something. Like, somehow we still counted it anyway, but the, the whatever the fact was was that the team that we were playing was not in our division, so it didn't actually count as much as it was more or less. It more, was like a, more or less it was just like an exhibition game of sorts. And so I'm the, in my senior year, I've never scored a point at all in any of these games. And the only point I ever made was a three-pointer, uh, and everybody went crazy. Like, it got read up in the yearbook. I couldn't believe it. They, they called it the E3. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's amazing. That was, that, that was actually my uh, nickname throughout all of my uh, basketball career in career. Right? Dude, can I just... Can I just call you E3 from now on? <laughs> That's amazing. It's not copyrighted as far as I'm concerned. Dude, E3, dude. Let's, I love it. Let's take a quick break on that note. Just a, a quick uh, segue, and then we will return with more clips. 
This is uh, Jimmy and E3 for Lost <laughs> and Rewound. Riding on the bus all the time with kids who were younger than you was uh, always uh, sort of a pain in the ass, especially when your sibling was there. And my sister, I just sort of ignored her to the best of my abilities. You think we both rode the bus a lot? Yeah, you rode the bus. We talked about that. Oh, yeah. I was cheese busing for sure. And when you get to a certain age, you become happy to be the the senior bus rider like you are the king and we've we've covered that a lot in lost and rewound in episodes past of the podcast version it was just it was something that was wonderful when you got to that point where you were an upperclassman more or less and the first graders the second third fourth fifth nobody could touch you you were you were god you were golden you were unstoppable and so Brooks in that clip just emulates the fantastic ideas that come about when you are left with no fifth graders. Like, you don't look at the fourth and under with disdain, but the grade below you is like, gone. Yes! Finally! You know, this is something that when you get older, um, you still have to go through, like, difficult challenges and tasks in your life. But there's something about when you're a kid, the immediacy of the next thing you have to undertake. When you're going to ride the bus, you're in that moment of riding the bus. I never thought about what is my bus ride going to be like tomorrow or what is my bus ride going to be like later this week. It was that day's bus ride, and that was, like, the moment. And every and it was every day like that. Sure. And, every, and everything was just, like, every moment when you're young, it just carries a lot more weight. And I know what you mean. Like... Something so small. Remember when you were a kid and, like, you had a trip? And you felt just invincible. Like, you weren't carrying a backpack and no one could stop you now. No, of course not. Of course not. Dude, like, even staying over, going to, like, a sleepover or something, that you just sort of expected that. But it was like when you stayed over at a non-friend's house, when you were anywhere uh, away for a long period of time, and you went away to the sleepaway camp, 
it was daunting just being away and being away from the house for any long period of time that wasn't familiar that, that i mean that, that was a real it was a real pisser to do that i think for me when I had to, uh, I don't. Did I, ever, did I ever talk about uh, Boy Scouts at all on the show? Maybe not. Yeah, I, I want to. I want to hear about. I that. was a Boy Scout. All of it's juicy. I know. <laughs> like it's one of these things where I was in a paramil- paramilitary youth organization. Yeah. I was thinking about recently that if this was Nazi Germany. Me being in Boy Scouts would have just been Hitler Youth. Well, you know, we're, we're, we're not there, and let, let's not jinx it, okay? I thought about that recently, and I'm like, that's sort of terrifying. Let's let's appreciate the liberties that we have and okay. had. So in this beautiful country that we live in, <laughs> these glorious Americas, these glorious United States, Yes, um, I was a Boy Scout. And I, I got to first class, which sounds better than it actually is. <laughs> uh, 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 okay. So I was a Cub Scout, too. I went through the whole Cub Scout thing. Past, there's like Wolf, which sounds awesome, but it's like the, the worst one. Then there, No, Bobcat's the lowest. It goes Bobcat, Wolf, Bear, mm. Weeblow. Then when you get into uh, regular Scouts, there's like Scout. And then there's like Second Class and First Class and mm-hmm. Star and Heart. Like It, it starts to turn into like uh, Captain Planet. <laughs> and you get all the way to Eagle Scout. People have heard of Eagle Scouts before, you know. Sure. Which you can put on apparently a college application. It's such a big deal. Until uh, only up to some point now. Um, I don't know. Or forever. Really you can I know that like when you – Stamp be- it on your resume. To become an Eagle Scout, you had to like organize like some sort of uh, charity event where you had to raise like a certain amount of money. Like it was it was really, really hard. I remember looking at the, the qualifications for it and I was like, I'm going to stop four ranks before that. <laughs> Because <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna know him. I know my place. No, uh, yeah. But I went to Boy Scout camp, which was really cool, with the exception that there's no girls there. Um, and then it, it would be sort of funny because, in a way, you had this like prison aspect where every once in a while, like one girl would walk through camp. Civilization, <laughs> and everyone in there would be like, "Hoot!" And like, "Oh, come on, sweetheart, get it over here." <laughs> it was like kids, <laughs> but, like, sounding it, exactly like that. But it'd be really great if like the kids had like you know spider webs tattooed on their head, and then. It, <laughs> Teardrops for every <laughs> stick that they manage to get into the <laughs> exactly <laughs> or whatever they made you do. I got my I got my uh, my swastika merit badge. Dude, <laughs> right uh. let's go right back to it. Um. <laughs> Jimmy is in no way condoning Nazism. I'm not. I'm not. But a lot of my jokes will come back to it. <laughs> It'll be a reoccurring thing. No, that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't seen Hogan's Heroes, check it out. Uh, you know, that's where, I'm, that's where my head is at. Um, but basically, the, this long, long story is just getting to the fact that since it was Boy Scouts, they're like, well, you're going to live a little bit more rugged than you know, regular campers would. So you got, you're just going to be sleeping on bunks on a wood deck. And the wood deck's just going to have flaps that hang off the side like you're in military installation somewhere. So we did that. During the day, you're like, oh, this is like whatever, you know, ooh, it's a little, little brisk and, you know, you're a little colder when you get in your, your, your little sleeping bag at night. Um, but then throughout the night, you kind of realize that you're just outside. There's, you're not in the tent. You're in this open thing that's just got these tarps flat, flapping down. I want to say, and I hope, um, I, only, I only saw raccoons, but I definitely saw shadows moving by that were small. You know, little husky animals and stuff moving around. I heard animals walking over the deck while we were sleeping. Mm. And then you would wake up with 
so many insects in your bed. It was yeah. It was nuts. That and was I think that was the thing that just turned me off from camping ultimately in dude, the first place. It's I I couldn't call me a it. ninny, but man, no, I, it's I, isn't it? That's that, that. This is the whole reason I started telling the story was to get to bedful insects because it's exactly that. It, I think it takes a certain kind of person, especially if you come from uh, civilization. <laughs> and when you do get into a situation where you're in a bedful insects. It's alarming. It's like we grow up to finally be New Yorkers and pay a shitload of rent, and we don't want to be finding ants or roaches or, or God forbid, bed bugs in our beds. We don't want bugs. We don't want no bugs. We don't want no bugs. If we wanted them, we'd go camping. Yeah. Sorry, but it's just kind of the way it is. I went there for two weeks only, I think it was, and I went there a couple years in a row. But the first year, I really hated the bugs. And I remember I, I called up, like, my dad or my mom or someone, and, and I was, like, I was ready to pack it in. And I was just like, I'm not. This is just, nope. <laughs> this is too much. This is like, traumatizing. You wake up, you have like, a bug, like, on your eye. And you, like, you open your eyelid, and, like, the bug is, like, it's, like, daddy long legs, and it's, like, straddling you. Well, yeah, I mean, they're gross, but they're not going to do anything to They're not going to. No, all the bugs that I found in my bed, nothing was going to do anything to me. They're, like, the it, most harmless. They're just, was, they're just there to kill the things that you hate, actually. That's true. But it was just one of those things. Um, but I'll tell you, by the end of the two weeks... I was like Rambo. Like I really, I would wake up in the morning and like grab the bugs and squish them in my hand and like, you know, get up my knife and start sharpening it by the fire and like, mm. and it actually it culminated. I had this really big fear because, so the way that the the deck was was it was just a wooden deck and then the flaps hung down on the sides and then there was no there was no front flaps at all and there was no back flaps so just side flaps. There was like this center beam, this column above us, above our heads. And then, like, it hung down the flaps over the side. But on that center column was just so many bugs that we we couldn't get to. It was just too too tall even for an adult to do anything about. And if you looked up, it it looked like a couple hundred spiders that were just, like, gathered on it. And then we went into other people's bunks, and they had no spiders. (laughs) There was no spider colony. uh, Our bunk definitely has spider colony. So um, come and you bring these people's attention, and it's Boy Scouts, so they usually tell you, Buck up! <laughs> so yeah, they have this. They have this very tough attitude about stuff. You would think, you know, you don't think it's like that, but uh, it's to the point. Like when I was going to learn how to swim, I was like the only guy in my troop that didn't know how to swim. To get to the next rank, like, and we, we were trying to get everybody up at the same time. Like I needed to know how to swim, so me and my scoutmaster were standing on the end of this deck by a lake, and and he goes, "Get in." And it was too deep. I knew I was like I couldn't get footing in it, and I, and I was terrified. I didn't know how to swim, and I and I was like I don't know. And he grabbed my wrist and he spun in a circle with me like as fast as he could, and he chucked me in the lake. Wow! And I swam back to the dock, and I, ever since then I knew how to swim. Like it was it was crazy. It was like you know. And then I remember because I was drowning, and I was like, Why would you do this to me? And then. He was looking at me, and he gave me this, like, super intense look, and it was just like, do it. The being in the water part was never, for me, the, the thing I hated, but that sounds like just the most, like, traumatizing thing ever. <laughs> no, man, you know what? It's, for me, if it was just going into the cold, that was the part that I just would never look forward to, is I would delay my jumping in because I didn't like how cold the water was. It wasn't the swimming part. It was more just the fear of the chill. That you. always killed me. You know what it was? When he did it, I never really got mad at him because to me, I just sort of treated it like a karate kid sort of thing. This is what I needed. He knew that I wasn't going to do it. 
Right. And he just decided to kick my ass. And then I, and then I learned, and I was fine after that. It was one of those hard-nosed things, but sometimes that stuff works. It depends. Like, I'm not advocating that you come and you raise your children, you know, and give them, like, you know, the stern hand because mm-hmm. you're going to teach them all sorts of lessons. I, I always sort of thought it was just like a challenge. He just challenged me. And he was right there. So, you know, if I really went under, he could have just jumped in and grabbed me. But, but yeah, maybe I could have drowned. You never know. Because it's dangerous. You know, and then, then, the, then the case starts. <laughs> What's the statute of limitations on, on trying to drown a kid, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. We have time for one more clip. And I think we'll, what we'll do is we'll just roll this. And, and there's no real easy way to segue from talking about drowning to uh, talking about uh, the, the blues. Let, let's take a listen. And here's the debut of Chris Bailey. So we're sitting in the car, cruising downtown Kingston, listening to John Mayle playing the blues. Now, the blues is real music. It's real music. It's not your rap or it's your or your trash. Excuse me, what's real music? When I'm rapping with my friends on the street corner, doing drugs and not what we order. I like alternatives. Whatever that means, I don't know. Kyle was one of my good friends growing up whose um, sister was also good friends with my sister. So Cassie and Sarah, Kyle and I always had sort of like these double sleepover playdates, basically. And Kyle's dad was this very um, <laughs> outspoken British guy who uh, would drive us to the movies. He was you know, very, very charismatic fellow and would always be listening to blues music in the car. And it was always a source of contention with him and his son. And I managed to get that on tape where, you know, I was able to actually record Chris schooling us about the blues. That was, that was, I really like his, uh, his attitude, you know. It, it was, it's really funny. I was just thinking about that recently. This idea of how not always, and it's, it depends, I think, a lot on the culture too. But it depends on who you are. Sometimes people will listen to the music that their parents listen to right. or sometimes they'll like despise it and really like be angry almost at their parents and their parents the same way won't won't legitimize the music that they listen to one thing that uh, my father he personally he can't hear rap like when rap is playing he just can't decipher what they're saying oh okay I was about to say like has he like conditioned his <laughs> mind to not be able to listen to it i try to help him condition his mind to hear it because you know he's an old-time brooklyn guy so mm-hmm. he comes and he makes the same joke every time you see him like if you bring up rap he's got his classic joke that he says and he says uh because he, he he dislikes two types of music or i guess maybe three because he always will talk about how he used to wear like all these shirts about hating disco in the 70s so he dislikes disco right but current music, he dislikes country and he dislikes rap. So he always goes, he always says, yeah, did you hear that country music and rap music are going to fuse soon? They're going to call it crap. 
one for the books. <laughs> you know, and I personally, I, I, I probably listen to rap more than any other type of music at this point in my life. Um, but did you when you were younger, though? Nope. I started listening to it in college. You didn't listen to it until you got into college. Yeah. That was the same thing with me. A little before college, but more or less college was when I really began to cultivate my rap listening skills and educate myself. But, dude, like, I remember reading a thing in Spin magazine. Uh, For full disclosure, I uh, subscribed to Rolling Stone, Spin, Details, a few magazines. I looked at the spin list of, like, the greatest albums of the 90s or something, and De La Soul is Dead and Low End Theory by A Tribe Called Quest were on there, and I bought those albums as soon as I could. For some reason, like, there was just something about seeing these two groups on the list of whom I had been familiarized with just through mentioning, and I was like, if I'm going to get rap albums, I'm going to get these because these clearly represent uh, a true... Uh, era of which I am not educated with. But, like, it was around high school, around, uh, certainly before college, but, gosh, you know, when I was, like, 11, 12 years old, I think my entire exposure to rap was just, like, Coolio and Naughty by Nature and maybe some other artists that I can't recall right now. Montel Jordan doesn't count. I definitely like Coolio. Onyx, Onyx. I definitely like Coolio. I'm not going to front. That hair, that hairdo too. I just remember, I remember being a kid and liking Coolio, but I never really listened to rap. And it's funny actually because my reason for not listening to rap, New York, racialized, deep seated reason for why I didn't listen to it. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so for those of you who don't know, I don't know if I've, I can't remember anything, but I don't know if I've mentioned before on the program uh, that I'm that I'm personally I'm multiracial. So uh, my father is I want to say he's German Russian and my mother is Puerto Rican your father is Brooklyn he's Brooklyn straight up old time Brooklyn see you on the street corner you know I know but country rap music (laughs) crap it's all crap but uh so but I think when I was growing up uh and I I talk about this a lot in my comedy too that I, I had this struggle of identity because there was and it's not as much anymore. Mm. But still, when I was growing up, it was a big deal. Like, the way you acted was, like, racially driven. So you would fit in. There weren't cliques when I was in high school. There were races. And, you know, everyone hung out with their own their own kind. Yeah. yeah. It was your own kind. And it wasn't like you couldn't be friends with anyone else. But it was just the way things were. Were kids listening to the blues back then? Not not a soul. <laughs> the blues. Uh, I heard from John Taffer on on uh, Bar Rescue that the blues is dead, and only two percent of Americans listen. So to you're gonna you're like just that. gonna pay attention to TV now? Like that's the that's, that's where I get all my facts. That's from. That's where you get your facts from. Yeah. That's where that's where I got. That's where eleven year old along got his facts from. Oh yeah, books. No, I just didn't have a concept about the blues at all when I was a kid. So I just assumed that because if none of the other kids were into it that I probably didn't have any uh, say in it. I didn't have any real individual taste until I started really getting out of the box that was Woodstock and moving to more uh, uh, different flavors of Poughkeepsie Day, which we'll talk about the next time, I suppose. It was uh, very much such a diverse school in that with all the kids that were there, they all came from different backgrounds, albeit rich ones, but also having a sort of a, a different lay of the land in, you know, what they were uh, accustomed to, what they were exposed to. 
I, I guess maybe it was because I was around high schoolers as opposed to just kids who were my age. I was around a smaller contingent of kids, so I was able to connect on a more personal level with those of whom were the upperclassmen. And, and it was interesting because, you know, whereas you were saying your, your uh, student body, you know, the way people connected were that of more of a racial, I would say I connected people with more on, like, what we listened to musically or, like, what we watched. You know, you connected with people just based on your tastes. I don't know. Like, that's the way I felt. Yeah, and like I was listening to Soul Asylum and Alanis Morissette, so I had no friends when I first got to Poughkeepsie Day. <laughs> I think in, I think at that point in high school, I was listening to metal and alternative rock, which are two things that don't really go together. Chili Peppers. I was listening to a lot of Chili Peppers in middle school. So like like the Hives, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like the same with Strokes before. But the thing was that I didn't feel like I had legitimacy to listen to rap because I, I had this idea that. It was music that was not created for me. There are plenty, like, for instance, Lauren Hill right. came out and said she didn't like white people listening to her music. Okay, right? well, that's her opinion. It is, exactly. <laughs> so it was one of these things where, you, you know, I, heard something, I heard something like that, and then I'd hear instances where people would go like, man, white people be stealing our music, man. You know, like, stuff like that. And, and I, would, wasn't, I was only half white, but it was enough that I was like, oh, I don't want to be one of those people, you hmm. know, that's stepping on your toes. Right, and I, did, I wasn't, and it just it, it didn't like I didn't immediately speak to me, um, you know. When I was growing up as a kid, uh, the criminal life was all around me, and I just I personally you just equated it, you know. It just wasn't. I just said, well, I'm, I'm not, you know, in out of prison and stuff, or you know, where a lot of the gangster rap was in the '90s. But then I got a little older, and I started listening to all uh, like really like underground rap, where they were rapping more about stuff that I could identify with. Like, yeah, it was the same with me. Like Fantastic Four. <laughs> wait, oh, wait, were you talking about like Doom or what? Yeah, you Doom. Yeah, exactly. Fair <laughs> that enough. That was like, I think Doom Doom was the guy, uh, MF Doom. Um, yeah. Check him out. If they really or his kinda... many different aliases. Yeah, Metal Face. Uh, he kind of he kind of pushed me into it. Uh, well, now I, I listen to it a lot. Uh, that and Motown. So I, I totally changed my whole thing around. I don't Ain't listen to wrong with Motown. I don't listen to any more white people music. You know? Hey, <laughs> I had I, to retire that. It come, came full circle. Exactly. Exactly. Folks, we got to wrap up, and uh, I, I don't know why I just pluralized. You're our listener. Thank you, <laughs> listener. One listener out there listening to us. Um, we are here uh, on Radio Free Brooklyn every Thursday afternoon from 3 to 4 p.m. If you have anything you want to submit for us to listen to and come on the show to talk about it, email us, lostandrewound at gmail.com. And again, from everybody here at Radio Free Brooklyn, tune in next time for another episode of Lost and Rewound. Peace. Here's some hip hop. Hip hop. <laughs>